We saw a piece in the paper the other day that caused us, as uh, Phil and I just gassed up on our coffee during the news break. Here's the headline that caught our attention. More than three cups of coffee a day may harm kidney function in some people. Study finds this from a former guest of ours on the show, Leslie Beck, in the Globe and Mail. So we figured, well, it's time to call Dr. Coffee again. It's always a pleasure to welcome Dr. Thomas Merritt from the Department of Chemistry and Biochemistry at my old school, Laurentian University, uh, who is back with us. He's our Dr. Coffee, and he's here to take your calls this morning and to talk about this article and other things all coffee-related. Dr. Merritt, Thomas, good morning, sir. Welcome back. Good morning, Sterling. Thank you for having me. It's lovely to be on again. Uh, It's good to have you with us. Now, this uh, piece from Leslie, uh, More Harms Attributed to Coffee and Toxic, goes into a fairly recent study uh, connecting some dots that are a little disturbing, kidney function and coffee consumption beyond three cups a day. What is a typical person's coffee consumption on average? Thomas, is it three or do we drink uh, typically more than three cups a day? Sterling, that's a really great question. I think we probably range. So, you know, there, there are two answers to that. The, the average is probably two. Um, one of the really important things, though, is what's the range. So, you know, we, there are people who don't drink coffee, although it's a surprisingly small percentage in, in Canada. Um, and then there are people who drink a lot of coffee. And, you know, you, you have to pay attention where you are on that, that sort of spectrum of, of drinking. Mm-hmm. Um, two is probably about average. This study came out and it's sort of cautioning, you know, maybe we should edge that back towards one. Um, I think that a couple of cups of coffee, you're, you're fine. And, and, you know, we'll see how the conversation goes. But you know, our old friend decaf may pop up here. Mm-hmm. Um, not, not a bad way to keep drinking coffee. Uh, but limit the amount of caffeine you're consuming. Now, this study talks about a specific gene that each of us possesses to one degree or another, and this particular gene is responsible for making the enzyme that metabolizes or breaks down caffeine. So clearly, some of us are more able to break down caffeine in our system than others. So if you can't do it very well, you are, uh, according to this survey, uh, more of a candidate for some kind of kidney dysfunction. Does that make sense to you? Yeah, and so that's a really great description of what the the study is finding. There's one other piece to this study. So this is a study of almost 1,100 individuals, which is great, but there are 1,100 individuals with hypertension, so high blood pressure. Uh Um, And and almost 75% of the people in the study were male. Um, And so that's, you know, the the population is not 75% male. Um, And unfortunately, this is really common in biomedical research, uh, women are just under-researched. Hmm. So you, you need to take this, this information. So it's a super cool study. Um, it's really well done. There's a, a protein that absolutely metabolizes uh, caffeine, and we've known about this for a while. Caffeine's a really interesting beast. You get it in your cup of coffee. You get a little bit in a cup of tea, a little bit in like a chocolate bar. Energy drinks, they're you know, a different beast altogether. You drink that cup of coffee. You bring the caffeine into your system. It binds that, that caffeine. It looks like a neurotransmitter. And it looks like a neurotransmitter just enough to wake up your body. It actually yep. turns off a, a sleep cycle, right? But everything has two sides. And so the other side of the caffeine coin is as it comes in, you're actually breaking it down, which is good because if you don't break things down, then they build to toxic levels. Okay. So the protein that breaks down caffeine is this CYP1A2 that, that this study looked at. Everybody has this gene. Everybody makes this protein. Everybody makes either a fast form or a slow form. Some people make a little bit of fast, a little bit of slow. 
when you look at thousands of people, if you have the slow form, you break down caffeine a little bit more slowly. If you have the fast form, you break down caffeine a little bit more quickly. Okay. When you look at thousands of people, we could, you could stop by my lab. If you've done a genomics, personal genomics, we could actually figure out what your SIP genotype is. I can certainly figure out mine. I can tell whether I've got one or two copies of the fast or the slow form of this protein. I can't tell how fast I, I break down caffeine. It's just, it would be lovely if it was that simple, but it's not. So SIP is one protein in a series of proteins that are involved in caffeine metabolism. When you look at large sample sizes, like thousands of individuals, we can find a pattern that's not the same as saying sterling breaks down caffeine quickly because you've got the fast form. We in also, study, I'm sorry, we also, sorry. don't we, we also just in addition to the, to, to this particular gene or this particular protein that helps to break down coffee, we also have kind of an onboard uh, situation too, don't we, Thomas? Because when, when we've had our quotient of coffee for the day, we can generally tell because your body starts to go, maybe this is enough. And, and you, you get a little rattled if you've had too much caffeine and you can yeah. actually feel feel it that's just an onboard thing isn't it yeah and so honestly the the best way to know how how quickly or slowly you break down caffeine is to pay attention to how jittery you get when you drink coffee okay and you know i as a geneticist i can tell you what your alleles are what your genotype is um as a biologist i can tell you that that genotype isn't the whole story and, and honestly, just paying attention to your body is the best way to understand how quickly you're breaking down caffeine and, and how much caffeine you're, you're bringing in. So that breaking down caffeine is only half the story. We have these receptors and different forms, different alleles of the receptors seem to give a stronger or weaker response in the same way that the metabolism enzyme breaks it down more quickly or more slowly. So how you respond to that cup is super complicated. It's like anything. You know, caffeine's a drug. The, the way that you respond to acetaminophen, Tylenol, mm -hmm. is slightly different than the way that I, I respond to Tylenol, acetaminophen. And that's because it's, it's a complex biological system. I think one of the really interesting punchlines from this story is that we should all be conscious of the fact that caffeine is a drug. Yes. And, you know, we, we start our morning with a cup of coffee because it's a nice, gentle wake-up. But too much of a good thing is, is not good. And so moderation is the name of the game. I mean, you and I have said this over and over. Um, I love a cup of coffee. Uh, and I, I, I've decided the way I do coffee is I get up and I make a pot of coffee. And I have the ritual of ma I'm actually looking at my coffee maker as I say this with love in my eyes. Right? <laughs> that's a bit silly. But, but I mean, that's, you know, I, it's the ritual of making a cup of coffee. But, and it wakes me up. That's awesome. And then, you know, I take a break. So we want to be conscious of the amount of any drug that you, you bring into your system. Um, and you want to be conscious of the amount of water you bring into your system. I mean, luckily, we can drink a lot of water and stay hydrated. Um, but there's so much, there's such thing as too much water, and there's certainly such a thing as too much coffee. Interesting stuff. So now, you've also written quite recently, too, about caffeine and nicotine, that first uh, smoke and cup of coffee in the morning. We'll talk about that in a minute. But back, yeah. back to the study on coffee and kidney function. And, and it's, it says more than three cups of coffee a day may harm kidney function in some people. So yeah, those yeah. people who may be susceptible to kidney function harm 
harm uh, should be paying attention to how much coffee they drink per day. What sort of person would be? Clearly, uh, going by the, uh, the the models used in the study, uh, you're talking about men with uh, hypertension. If you're if you're a guy and you have high blood pressure, you probably should be shouldn't shouldn't be drinking too much coffee. Yeah, no, that, and that's a that's a really wonderful punchline from from this study. Um, you know, hypertension is a complicated uh, disease, and it it hits many different things. It runs in my family. It's something that that every male in my family is very conscious of. Um, and one of the things is that we should be conscious of is, is limiting caffeine. Um, so you said at the very beginning of our conversation, uh, you used the phrase "connecting the dots." Yeah. And I really love the way that this paper and actually. Um, the, the Globe and Mail article that you mentioned in particular, that does a, that pa- that uh, newspaper article does a really wonderful job of describing how the authors of this research paper really connect dots. So we know that caffeine affects blood pressure. We know that blood pressure can affect kidney function, and we know that different people metabolize caffeine differently. What the authors of this study were able to do is show that depending on how you break down or metabolize caffeine, that's going to interact with whether you do or don't have hypertension. And then that's going to potentially contribute to kidney function. So they looked specifically at people with hypertension and said, absolutely, if you you have high levels of of coffee drinking, caffeine consumption, you're more likely to progress into kidney function problems faster. That's something we already knew was part of hypertension. Now we're tying in that cup of coffee in a way that absolutely makes sense, given what we know about caffeine biology. Dr. Thomas Merritt from Laurentian University is our Dr. Coffee. Uh, he's in studio. He's on the on the line with us today from Ontario. Uh, Mark is on the line from Vancouver Island in Sydney and uh, has a question for you, Thomas. Mark, good morning. Go ahead, please. Good morning. Thank you for taking my call. I have two questions. Uh, first question is, uh, I use a, what they call a French press. Or okay. A is that better than other ways to have coffee. And the second question is, because we use this for wake up and giving us that boost, Mm -hmm. what did they use in, say, the year 20 B.C. or 10 B.C.? Ah, okay. Great questions, both of you. Thank you, Mark. Well, let's let's uh, turn it over to Doctor Coffee. Thomas, what do you make of? Uh, let's answer question two first. I mean, coffee is a oh, fair. Yeah. Okay. How recent is coffee? In other words, in BC times, were they drinking a coffee equivalent? They were not. Well, as far as we know, they weren't. So, yeah, Mark, those are really great questions. Um, so, we have decent historical data on coffee that suggests that. We have been drinking coffee for only about a thousand years. Okay, um, and and there there are sort of different twists on the story. Um, coffee seems to have come out of Ethiopia. Um, it in sort of the, the Mediterranean and in, in um, different Arab cultures, it seems that the coffee was first roasted and consumed, um, but it and then spread from there into Europe and then from Europe uh, into Asia and the, the New World. Um, but we really we think that coffee drinking, as far as the, the roasted beverage, bean beverage that we're all familiar with, is really only a thousand years old. Okay, um, that's a really so. There's some interesting societal in, you know insight as to the fact that we that we now have this stimulant that is the part of everybody's breakfast, or eighty percent of Canadians anyway, 
Um, and, you know, we didn't have that before. And so maybe we were sleeping better. You know, there are a lot of things in modern society that suggest that we're not sleeping particularly well. And we're using things like a cup of coffee to offset the fact that maybe we should turn the screens off a little bit earlier and spend a little bit more time asleep. Mm, interesting stuff. And the French press, Mark, I wanted to know about that as a method to produce a great cup of coffee. Yes, I, I love the French press. Um, and honestly, the, the most important thing, there is no one best way to make coffee. So if I'm looking into my kitchen right now, I'm sitting on my couch and looking into my kitchen, um, and I'm looking at four different ways that I could make coffee. Uh, and different beans can lend themselves to, to different kinds. Okay. Um, I use the French press through most of grad school. Um, it's a really great way to make a really good cup of coffee. Um, you know, if you're grinding your beans that, that morning, you'll get a fresher bean and, and you'll get, I, I think, a better cup of coffee. Um, if you're buying a good quality bean, you know, you've got a lot of really great local roasters out on the West Coast. Um, locally roasted coffee ages. And one of the really interesting things about coffee is it doesn't age as much when it's green. But as soon as we roast it, the, the flavors start to change. And a good roaster won't sell you coffee that they just roasted. Oh. Uh, it has to sort of mature, right? And, you know, so now we're thinking about cheese and wine, uh, but you want to let a, a roasted coffee rest for at least a couple of days. Uh, a couple of the roasters that I've talked to said, you know, if somebody comes in and buys a bean from me, usually by the time it goes from my roaster to their coffee maker, it's at least three or four days old, and, and that's the, the minimum amount of time that they want a coffee to, to rest. But as soon as you grind it, it breaks down and it's just oxidizing. And, right. you know, it's like putting a, a piece of iron out in, in your backyard. Um, and it's all a surface area game. So the, the roasted beans are slowly oxidizing. Um, and then the ground beans, you increase the surface area about a thousand fold and they start to oxidize more. I, I started only grinding my bean in the morning. Uh, and I, I swear to you, there's going to be no difference between grinding my, my beans at night and grinding them the first thing in the morning. Um, but just everything I'm reading about the changes in, in flavor of coffee, I was like, okay, fine. I'll grind the beans first thing in the morning. Yeah. Uh, but a French press is awesome. I, I use a funnel. I'm looking at a funnel now. Um, I've got a really nice espresso maker in my office because I like to have a double espresso sort of lower volume as the you know the morning goes on. There are only so many big cups of coffee that I can hold inside me. Mm. Um, but the, the French press is great. I, I use them um, quite a bit when I'm camping. I've got a, like a steel insulated French press, uh, and that works really great with a campfire. Interesting stuff. Uh, you wrote a piece in one of the Montreal papers a few weeks ago, Thomas. The, the headline was, there's a reason we pair coffee and cigarettes, but don't confuse the feel-good sensations. And you go on to talk about how nicotine and caffeine are plant molecules and so on, and they and they uh, consuming either can make us feel so much better. How they drive those feelings of joy is also strikingly alike. How so? Yeah, it's a really interesting story. And so coffee and, and cigarettes have been intertwined at least over the last hundred years. Um, it's actually been one of the complications in understanding the medical research of coffee. A lot of the early research in coffee that suggested there were negative impacts of drinking coffee were actually negative impacts of smoking because so many smokers, so many coffee drink, drinkers smoked that when we looked at coffee drinkers, we were seeing these high incidents of cancer that didn't really make sense until we started to tease out the, the fact that, and we know that nicotine uh, and other things in tobacco lead to cancer. Um, the, 
they're both these, these plant molecules. They, you bring them into your body. They trigger a series of, of uh, neurotransmitters, so the chemicals that our brain uses to communicate with itself, and both of them turn on a dopamine pathway. Uh-huh. Dopamine, so, I mean, dopamine comes up in these quite a bit. It's, it's an exercise uh, release. It's a sex release. It's one of the real central feel-good molecules in the body. Uh, and so both nicotine and um, coffee or caffeine turn that on. It ends up that something in coffee hyperactivates the nicotine receptors. And so if you're sitting there having a, a cigarette and you have a cup of coffee, that coffee sort of puts that, you know, turns the dial to 11 on that cigarette. Ah. The, the really funny twist is it seems to only turn that dial to 11 if you've been asleep for a while. So your body has sort of taken a step back. You're getting up in the morning, having that first cup of coffee, first smoke. And when you do that, that combination is magic. So one of the good things that comes out of this study is there's a lot of research on nicotine addiction. So I I smoke cigars. I, I don't smoke cigarettes, but I smoke the occasional cigar. Um, and I would love to be able to smoke the occasional cigar and not worry about it going from something that I want to do to something that I feel compelled to do. Yeah. So how do we you know, understand that nicotine addiction? Well, it ends up this study of coffee is telling us an aspect of the nicotine system that we didn't know. And so it's leading to some really interesting research about how could we disconnect that nicotine receptor from the addictive side of smoking is, you know, honestly, like we said earlier, moderation is great. I mean, if you could have the occasional cigarette, the way that some people, myself included, have the occasional cigar, that's a much different beast than smoking a pack a day or half a pack a day or For two sure. packs a day. Yeah. Interesting stuff. Dr. Thomas Merritt, always a pleasure, sir. It is just, this is the first time we've opened the phone lines, Thomas. It was very successful, too. Great to have you back, and thank you for creating a little extra room in your schedule so we could do a couple of segments and really stretch on this. It's a perfect time of day to have a bit of a coffee conversation. It's always a pleasure to have you do it with us. Thanks for this again. Great to hear from you, Sterling. Take care.